Are her eyes supposed to be doing that? The crew and their rescued prisoner have materialised in a flash of purple light on one of the busiest bridges in the city, sending pedestrians scattering. Tatters does not look at all well. She's shaking uncontrollably, foaming at the mouth, and her eyes... What the hell was wrong with her, Valerian? Valerian has his suspicions. Tatters calls upon dark and dangerous forces to work her magics, and pushing too hard, too deep, comes with considerable personal risk. But right now, they have more pressing concerns. Just grab her, Alphonse. We need to get out of here now. We are attracting way too much attention. He's right. A small but swiftly growing crowd has formed, and even with the disruption in the city, in an upmarket place like this, it's only a matter of time before the blues turn up. In fact, from nearby, somewhere behind the throng of onlookers, a voice barks out. What's going on here? Disperse this crowd at once! There's a piercing whistle. Within minutes, this place is going to be swarming with bluecoats. Time to go. Hello and welcome to The Lone Adventurer, an actual play solo RPG podcast with me, Carl White. I will be your narrator, your game master, and your guide as we follow our heroes on their journey into the unknown. For this game, I'll be using the Blades in the Dark rule set, as well as a variety of other systems, tools, and tables as they take my fancy. A word of warning. The following scenes may contain mature themes and disturbing imagery. Listener discretion is advised. The adventure continues. Last time on The Lone Adventurer, the Web made their escape from Ironhook Prison, freeing Slate, the leader of the Wraiths, in the process. But their escape did not come without a price. What was supposed to be a quiet, clandestine operation rapidly went south, and by the end of it, the whole prison was on high alert, with the Ironhook airborne fleet had been scrambled, and the team magician, Tatters, had been pushed to her limits and beyond. Just what the repercussions will be remains to be seen. She's regained consciousness, but she's pretty shaky. It's going to take some time before she fully recovers, if she ever does. The spider, descending from the dress circle, is not best pleased. Her voice carries through the disused opera house. And, not content with taking out perhaps the most important member of this crew, you've got half the city losing their minds over the jailbreak, and the other half out hunting for us, not only us. The wraiths are going to catch just as much heat for this. Do you mind telling me what part of in and out, quick and quiet and under the radar was not clear, Valerian? Valerian can't deny it. Apart from the fact that they did manage to get out with Slate, the whole operation has been an unmitigated screw-up. There's tatters, obviously, but a core tenet of the web is that they move unseen. They are subtle, secretive, undetected. 
this score has been the absolute antithesis of that. Loud, flashy and very, very visible. If there is one thing the authorities of this city like less than being flipped the bird, it's being flipped the bird extremely publicly. And their so-called asset seems to have sensed which way the wind is blowing. That snake, the rose, has completely dropped off the grid. Of course, he's not about to admit any of this to the spider. Spider, with the very greatest of respect, I, I think you're looking at this all wrong. Let's focus on our objectives. We needed Slate Freed in order to forge an alliance with the Wraiths. Check. Nobody died. Check. Nobody can connect the web to the prison break. Check. And any records the authorities may have held on ourselves and the Wraiths were all sadly lost in that reprehensible machine cultist bombing of the city archives. All in all, I think we can call this one a win. Spider does not look at all convinced, but she can't resist Valerian's bait. Wait, what bombing? Valerian pulls an ornate fobwatch from his pocket, peers at it, and gives it a tap. Hmm, is this thing slow? There's a dull, distant thump that vibrates through the building. Dust falls from the rafters. Ah no, right on time. He smiles innocently up at the spider, who closes her eyes and pinches her nose. Valerian, where is Alphonse? Valerian spreads his hands, palms up. Quite possibly he's taking a well-deserved break following our travails. I understand he is particularly fond of the dream dust parlours down on the docks. And who are we to judge the hard-earned indulgences of our fellows? Really? He's not out blowing up government buildings at your behest. Perhaps you feel we should move to armed insurrection next, with with assassination of the Archdomina as an encore? Valerian smiles broadly. Deflection achieved. Now for distraction. Heaven for Fen, Spider, what do you take me for? Though, on the topic of encores, I am fascinated to learn where things stand with our new friend Slate and his doughty crew. What agreement has been struck with our new allies? The spider scowls, but she knows when she's been outplayed. I've sent word to Flint, Sallow and Trace. They'll be here shortly. We can discuss it when everyone's here. For now, go and spend some time with Tatters. She was asking for you. Valerian bows his head in acquiescence, a sad and understanding smile on his face. Oh, of course, I'll go and see her at once. No doubt she seeks my soothing words and gentle counsel in her period of convalescence. You think? the spider asks with a wicked smirk. Personally, I think it's more likely she has regained sufficient strength to melt off your face and roast your brain in your skull for what you've put her through. But I'm sure you know best. Despite his very best efforts, Valerian's smile wobbles. Last time, we were talking about repercussions. And there's two important ones to discuss here as we move into the downtime section of play. First up, we have the after-effect of Tatters burning through all her stress. That took her down in the final action role of the game, which felt very tense and dramatic in play. And as a result, she's now subject to a level of trauma. I think the most appropriate trauma to pick here is Haunted. 
tatters has been touched by the dark forces that grant her her magical abilities, and she doesn't like what she sees. In addition, although it's not part of the rules, I am going to say that this trauma also has a physical effect on her. There's now something wrong with her eyes. A single level of trauma in Blades in the Dark has no real effect unless you want it to. If I decide her trauma comes into play and has a negative effect on her, Tatters can use that in order to gain XP. The other after effect to discuss is heat. Much like stress for an individual PC, the crew has a heat track. The more you fill, the more trouble your crew is in, and if you fill all nine boxes, that trouble finds you. You accumulate heat in a number of ways. In that last score, for example, the crew picked up four heat for being loud and chaotic, one for carrying out a score on enemy turf, another one for the devil's bargain that Tatters made. Six heat right out of the gate. Fortunately, downtime also gives the crew the opportunity to mitigate some of that heat. Alphonse took a reduce heat roll using Rec that took the heat score down by three. And as the player, I get to narrate the fiction that justifies that reduction. In this case, Alphonse blowing up a records office. Each character is allowed two downtime rolls during each downtime phase, unless, like Tatters, you maxed out on stress. In that case, you lose all of your stress, but gain a trauma, as we've discussed, and get no downtime rolls. Valerian and Alphonse both had a range of downtime activities to choose from, and because both took so much stress during that score, they both selected to indulge their vice. In Blade's character creation, each PC selects a vice that helps them blow off steam. It might be sex, drugs, or rock and roll. In Valerian's case, it's shopping. It doesn't much matter, apart from the RP opportunities. Valerian got lucky and cleared six stress in this way. Alphonse's trip to the dreamdust dens of the dock was a little less effective, giving him only one stress removed. As already mentioned, Alphonse used his second downtime action to clear some heat on the crew. Valerian used his for a visit to the Physica to help him recover from the harm inflicted by that water cannon. There are a few other mechanical updates to make. The crew gains some coin and some reputation for their score, and each PC gains some experience points. Not enough to do much with yet, though. They also need to check for entanglements. In this case, it turns out that their blue coat contact, the Rose, has flipped and is now loyal to another faction. There are a few other bits and pieces, but nothing of particular importance to the story for now. We've covered the score and downtime, and so now it's time to move on to the third gameplay type, free play. This is much like normal role-playing in a game like D&D. The PCs get to chat among themselves, the GM may introduce new NPCs or new plot threads, and play continues until the crew decide on a new score, or the GM decides on one for them. Let's play to find out what happens. Even seated in shadow, a skull mask hiding his features, Slate had radiated his displeasure. Not exactly the subtlest of extractions, Spider. I thought you said your crew were professionals. Whilst, of course, I appreciate my freedom, I do wonder how long it will last. Your people really have stirred up the hornet's nest. Spider had sighed and offered her apologies to the masked man. 
Not our finest work, I grant you, Slate, but you are out of Ironhook, and that's the main thing. And, to be fair, the nest had pretty much been kicked over already. That's part of the reason we agreed to break you out in the first place, if you recall. Slate had leaned back in his chair, steepling his fingers. True enough, and I haven't forgotten our part of the bargain. I promised you actionable intel on the Unseen, and you shall have it. Though I suspect you may not like what you hear. I take it you've heard of the Vale Sisters. I have, the spider had replied, her stomach sinking. She had had a horrible feeling. She knew which way this was going to go, and exactly how the crew were going to react. Out of your tiny fucking mind! Valerian paces anxiously back and forth across the Opera House stage, gesticulating wildly at the spider. The Veil Sisters, spider! The fucking nails! Why don't we just douse ourselves in lamp oil and light a match? It'd be quicker and, like as not, a damn sight less painful. The spider can't deny it. The sisters alone are deadly enough, of course, but it's who they work for that has Valerian rattled, and not without good reason. The Silver Nails are a Tanthian mercenary outfit, well-connected, ruthless, and deadly. Led by the flamboyant, self-styled Lord General Suresh, the Nails serve as anything from security to kingmakers in the city, a hired army that can, for the right price, tip the Kairos balance of power. And whilst they are ostensibly named for the rings, hammered from a silver nail that each of them wears, it is their practice of leaving noted enemies disemboweled and nailed to doors to slowly die that really brings their name alive. Going against them is foolhardy in the extreme, bordering on the suicidal. Of course, she's not about to admit any of this to Valerian. She looks at the assembled crew, Valerian, Alphonse, Flint, Sallow, and Trace. With the exception of the dozing Alphonse, none of them look best pleased. They're going to look a damn sight less pleased when she's done explaining the plan. Of that, she has no doubt. Calm yourself, Valerian. Desperate times call for desperate measures, and these times are so very desperate. This plan will work, and, more to the point, it has to work. This is our first solid lead on the Unseen and if we are to survive the coming storm, it is a lead we cannot afford to pass up. Now, sit down and listen up. I started this scene by envisaging a sit-down meeting between the leaders of the two crews, and asking the picture oracle what the repercussions of the breakout were, if any, for the wraiths. That would dictate Slate's frame of mind, and perhaps influence the direction the conversation was going to take. Well, the answer I got was a shattered circle, and an exploding drop causing ripples. Well, that suggested a fragile stalemate had been broken, and that there were further repercussions still to come. Not an especially happy slate then, but also no immediate crisis necessarily for them to have to deal with. Time will tell, I suppose, what those repercussions turn out to be. And so, my next question to the Oracle was whether the Wraiths had any leads on the cult or the Unseen. That, alongside an alliance, seemed like a possible quid pro quo for breaking Slate out, and so I gave that a 50-50 chance and got a straight yes. The follow-up question to the Picture Oracle 
was to ask the nature of that lead, and the answer to that one was a really easy one to interpret. An eyeball and two figures, both half and half in light and shade. Agents of the Unseen had been identified. The next obvious question was, who were these agents? I found my answers in the Blades in the Dark people table on page 302 and 3. A series of roles gave me Mara and Linthia Vale, a pair of deadly sisters. No doubt we'll meet them soon enough, but if you want to learn more about them, there's full details in the show notes, including appearance and goals and methods, profession, traits, interests and their quirks. Then I decided to roll up a random score to learn in what circumstances our plucky crew were likely to encounter said sisters. And from that, I learned several things, most important of which was that the sisters were working for the Silver Nails. The stage is now set for the crew's next mission, although just to stretch the game, and myself a little bit, I'm planning a small twist. We'll get to that in a bit. But for now... I wanted to say a couple of words on my experience of the game so far, seeing as we've been around one full loop of play cycle, from score to downtime to free play. Now, I've spoken already about the Blade's learning curve and how tricky I found it personally, but as Logan Ninefingers so rightly says, better to do a thing than live with the fear of it, and so I took the plunge, and I'm really glad I did. I know I'm missing stuff and getting other stuff wrong, Sometime after Tatters teleported the team off the hook, for example, I happened to bump into the ritual rules and realised I'd played all of those completely wrong. I know I'm missing stuff around faction interactions, tears and influence, and I've even yet to start to get my head around things like magnitude and crafting. But I think none of that really matters that much as far as I can tell. I have the basic framework that I need to tell a story, and that framework moves me naturally back and forth between frantic, fast-paced action, periods of recovery, and setup for the next action sequence. That narrative flow and pacing, so far, has been satisfying to play, and hopefully works from a storytelling perspective from the listener's point of view also. I find the basic mechanics, that is, take a dice pool, add several extra dice by spending finite resources, and then hitting random consequences if you fail or have a qualified success, a really satisfying system, and a really perfect fit for solo play. A while back I played a solo game of Dungeon World, set in Eberron, there's a link to the details of that in the show notes, and I had a similar experience using that system. Unlike more traditional RPGs like D&D, failure becomes interesting. In fact, often far more interesting than success. Failure is what drives the story forward and what introduces the unpredictable into the narrative. This mechanic is a core component of Powered by the Apocalypse games, which started with Apocalypse World back in 2010, and which have morphed and developed significantly over time. Blades isn't a Powered by the Apocalypse game, strictly speaking, but a Forged in the Dark game, but those two families of games do share a fair bit of DNA, with the Forged games owing a really big design debt to the Powered games. Other Powered-adjacent games, such as the solo-friendly Ironsworn and its sci-fi follow-up Starforged, also share this same design concept right at their core. I'm also quite enjoying exploring and playing with my expanded cast of characters, though it definitely introduces a higher admin overhead in game terms. In a game like D&D, where the characters are so much more complex and the combat mechanics are much more crunchy, it would be way too much for me. 
but so far I'm finding it works pretty comfortably in Blades. So, ever the glutton for punishment, I'm expanding my cast. The web also includes Flint, a lurk, Sallow, a leech, Trace, a hound, and of course, the spider, who's, well, a spider. That takes my crew up to seven in total, covering all seven of the Core Blades playbooks. We'll get to meet those fine folks very soon. Well, right now, in actual fact. Valerian is staring at the spider in disbelief, and he's not the only one. And that's your plan, is it? We walk onto the Mustang, cause a distraction, and then waltz back off again with those two delightful ladies tucked under our arms. And by delightful ladies, let me be perfectly clear, I do mean stone-cold killers. Are you quite sure you've not been the crater's stash, spider? This plan of you sounds awfully like the ravings of a dust dreamer. Alphonse blinks awake. You what? The spider scowls. As I've explained, Valerian, desperate times call for desperate measures, and fear not, this has been carefully thought through. The risk has been assessed and mitigated. This will work. Valerian snorts derisively. Easy for you to say, tucked up safely back here. The rest of us will be the ones putting our head in the noose. Again, this sounds very much like a long walk off a short plank, and given that we're heading to the Mustang, that is not a great outcome. He takes a moment to reflect, and then adds, although probably a better one than most of the other likely alternatives I can think of. The spider leans back in her leather armchair, hands on the rests. She takes in the assembled crew, their expressions running from Valerian's fear-induced outrage, to Trace's narrow-eyed suspicion, to Alphonse's sleepy boredom. No one looks happy, apart from the pallid, bony Sallow, hunched in his greatcoat. And frankly, Sallow looking happy is no great cause for celebration. Still, there's no helping it. It's time to drop the bomb. You'll be delighted to learn that you are not leading this mission, Valerian. I am. That gets their attention. Even Alphonse reopens one eye. Indeed, the spider continues, you are not on this mission at all. I have something altogether more fitting with your unique talents in mind for you. Something that has unfortunately become a necessity since you broke tatters. For once, Valerian has nothing to say, a retort dying on his lips. The spider allows herself the briefest of moments to relish the experience. They don't come along often, after all. Sallow and Crater will be joining me on the mission to capture the sisters. You, Valerian, will lead a second team, consisting of yourself, Flint and Trace. And before Valerian can jump in with questions or protestations, she continues. We lost visibility of our asset in the underpipes, and with tatters in convalescence following your less-than-stellar performance, we have no way of attempting to re-establish it even assuming she still lives. The mission we sent her on was of the utmost importance to our survival, and it must be completed. And with contact lost with our expendable asset, it now falls to you to take up her task. You must enter the underpipes, infiltrate the cult of the Great Machine, and learn of the source of the Infernal Powder. 
and you must do so quickly. Alphonse starts to laugh, a scary sound at the best of times. Sallow joins in, a high-pitched and unhinged giggle in counterpoint to the big man's basso rumble. Trace hisses, looking like she's trying to decide which of the crew to murder first, and Valerian looks like he's trying to pass a kidney stone. All in all, better than she'd expected. Valerian finally recovers his voice, if not his poise. You can't be serious, Spider. How... She cuts him off. How do I expect you to infiltrate your way into the heart of a cult of mad bombers, Valerian? Oh, don't undersell yourself. She reaches into the heavy canvas bag by the side of her armchair and pulls out a metal object. She slips the brass and steel mask over her face and continues, I'm sure you'll think of something. Well, I mentioned there was going to be a twist, and there it is. Not satisfied with one high-stakes mission this time round, I'm splitting my crew in half and attempting two simultaneous scores. Well, as usual, I have no idea how this is going to play out. Blades really isn't designed with this sort of tinkering and hattery in mind. It's designed for one score at a time. And given that I'm very much a novice at this game, this idea is quite possibly a very stupid one. But I figure, from a story perspective, this makes sense. The web does face twin threats after all, both the unseen and the cult. The wraiths have provided them with a lead on the unseen, and given that the web have lost track of Mina, it does seem reasonable that they would try a plan B on that front also. They have a nice big crew, so why not divide and conquer? Also, from a narrative perspective, cutting back and forth between the two teams on parallel missions, well, that's a tried and tested heist or thriller movie trope, and so I'm kind of interested to see how it'll work in this format. I think this structural tweak demonstrates the flexibility that playing an RPG solo can introduce. This double score would be an absolute nightmare to run in a group game, but in a solo game you've got a lot more leeway. You can play at your own pace and in whatever order that you feel like, and no one is going to get left out or forgotten. At least I hope that's what happens. I mentioned earlier that I rolled the first score randomly, but there was no need to do that for the second one. Way back in Chapter 10 of Series 1, Valerian said to Mina, I come to you with a new offer, Miss Montessario. I would like you to return to the underpipes and complete the mission you began. Locate the source of the infernal powder so that we may neutralise it. So, two missions. I then split my team based on their relative skill sets, made an engagement roll for each score, and I was ready to go. One other thing to briefly note. That cultist mask that the spider pulled out of her bag was the result of a flashback. Flashbacks can be used at any time, in or out of a score, and I figured that having cultist outfits would be a reasonable way to add a die to my engagement roll dice pool. Spider spent a stress on the flashback, and then another to push the roll, and rolled a clean success on her consort roll with Jeren, a bluecoat archivist, noted on her character sheet. And so, there it is. What's better than a god-awful suicidal plan? Two god-awful suicidal plans, obviously. Let's see how those play out. Next time.
have been listening to The Lone Adventurer, a solo RPG podcast played, written, and performed by me, Carl White. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider telling your friends about it or leaving a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. It really is a huge help. You can find me on Twitter at TheLoneADV. You can email me at TheLoneADV at gmail.com or follow my blog at carlillustration.wordpress.com. You can find show notes for this episode and all the others at theloneadventurer.podbean.com, where I include any links mentioned in the episode as well as mechanics information. I also include a link to a full episode transcript. The story will continue in the next episode of The Lone Adventurer. Thank you for listening.